Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 26th. Hope all of you listeners enjoyed what was certainly an interesting Memorial Day weekend in quarantine, certainly an experience unlike any other Memorial Day I've had in my life, and I know I speak for so many of us when I say Memorial Day symbolizes the you know beginning of summer. It's that time when you're going to be spending time outdoors, grilling, spending time with your friends if you're near water, getting on the water as frequently as possible. Of course, for so many of us, that's not the case. We can't do that right now given the quarantine conditions, and of course, we all uh, appreciate everyone who's doing their part helping all of us stay safe stay healthy I know for me I was on the phone last week and it was Thursday and at the end of the phone call the person I was speaking to goes so uh any plans for Memorial Day weekend and I was like oh yeah when is that a couple of weeks right that's two three weeks from now and he goes no Alex that's a uh, Memorial Day's on Monday and I was like oh well, that's interesting, and so I guess my answer was no. I don't have any fun plans, although I should say a big thank you to the Thienemann family who have really adopted me as their own, and they take me in for Memorial Day weekend, and of course, I live with Parker, so, you know, when I, Parker's going to his parents' house, I'm going to be exposed to whatever they have no matter what, and of course, it's a family I love so near and dear, so huge thank you to the Thienemans for treating me as their own in Indianapolis this past weekend, and hopefully all of you listeners got the chance to spend some quality time with your family with your loved ones, with whomever you're quarantined with, and enjoy, you know, certainly an interesting holiday, but a holiday Monday nevertheless. And, you know, with that in mind, we're ready to rock and roll back into another week because the mini break never stops for any holiday, for any, uh, you know, global pandemic. We're rocking and rolling day in, day out here, and there have been so many storylines that continue uh, to emerge throughout the professional tennis world. Of course, ATP WTA merger talks was a big fad a couple of weeks ago, uh, player relief funds and what those efforts are going to look like uh, continues to be a trending topic. We hear from more and more players, their thoughts on the current player relief situation, their thoughts on potential solutions uh, to, you know, the future uh, combating of pay inequity and, you know, all of the circumstances that got us to this point where so many lower ranked players are struggling at this point and need that sort of relief. Those are all things, you know, I want to talk about. Of course, there's also the emergence of so many exhibition events because all of these pro players want to get back on the court and, of course, they want to do so safely, healthily. That's why we haven't seen the return of professional tennis, but we have seen the return of countless exhibition events across the globe, and you know those continue to go on and on and on. I want to talk about all of those things. I do also want to talk about the fact that Naomi Osaka uh, was named the number one uh, highest earning female athlete in the world, that she sent a single season record, or I suppose a single season is the wrong word, a single year record in terms of income earned by a female athlete. She surpassed Maria Sharapova Pova's record from 2016. She also ended Serena Williams' streak, I think, of three or four straight years at, as the top female uh, uh, paid athlete. And so that all of these things are a storyline in themselves. I want to talk about all of them on one day, and I know that news segment will turn to 40 minutes. So we're going to save those for tomorrow. On today's podcast, we get back to the routine. 
the bread and butter of a Tuesday. And when it's Tuesday, you know it's time for Technique Tuesday with our friends at My Tennis HQ. And on today's podcast, I talked to Carousel about three steps to improve your volleys. And it's a video that they did at My Tennis HQ. They have been coming up with so much great content, but they really have done a successful job pivoting their instructional uh, articles into video pieces as well so that you can read the descriptor, but then you also can have a visual representation of what they are talking about. And Karu and I today talk about, you know, moving forward, the nuances behind it, how it's not just, you know, how you hit your volleys, but it's so much about being at the net. It's about footwork and how having a plan and about setting yourself up for success, whether that be with the approach shot, with the first volley, with your positioning, all of these different things. So we talk about all of that. We also have a fascinating conversation about, you know, I, I ask him about, because I've been doing my research, I'm getting into all of these stories. And some of you re- may remember a couple of weeks ago, I read all about Davi Danko and his uh, history with the tennis integrity unit, I suppose, his history with match fixing and throwing matches in it. And it fascinated me. And of course, so many of us on tennis Twitter have seen a player post the sort of hate comments they get uh, from people who have gambled on their matches or they talk about, you know, people who have offered them things. And so I wanted to just be candid with Carew, who is always so generous and candid with us, just his perspective on gambling in tennis, the corrupt influence he sees around tour matches, the incentives of why people do it. And you know, we're not going to call out any juicy names. Uh, so if that's what you're expecting to hear on this podcast, sorry to disappoint you now, but it's a fascinating conversation. He shares a fascinating perspective. So I think all of you will enjoy that conversation we have today. But before we can get to any of that, I have to let all of you podcast listeners know that these shows are made possible due to the support that we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has been supporting tennis players across the globe by serving as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast-shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And again, maybe you're like me. You're in that post-playing phase of your career where you still play, but it's not every day. And, you know, you considered yourself retired so that when you go on the court and the level. It's not as high as it used to be. You can tell the person you're playing with, yeah, but I'm retired now. I don't play as much as I used to. But anyways, maybe your game needs a little adjustment. Maybe you need new strings. You need a new frame. You're wearing the same kicks that you've worn since 2012. And, you know, your big toe protrudes out of the shoe to a point where it's uncomfortable for you to move on any of the surfaces. Uh, and you want to know what type of shoes should I get? Where, you know, I, I'm, I, my, my feet aren't as light, I suppose, as they once were, and I need some lighter shoes. Well, the intimately trained staff, at, or I should say the intimately trained staff, the well-trained staff who are all oh so intimate on the phone uh, at Midwest Sports are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, perfect piece of clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of tennis equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. And you can find all of those products and prices by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. The good news for you, you can save even more money by using 
using our promo code CR15, letting our friends at Midwest Sports know who sent you there. And of course, on top of that, you'll get free two-day shipping with all orders over $75. You'll also get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls to ensure that you have all you need for when you return to the court by using that promo code CR15. So go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15, get 15% off your order. We are so grateful again for the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. All right. With that being said, again, more news coming later in the week on this mini break podcast. Cracked interviews. If you haven't, go listen to the one we did with Bethany Maddox Sands because we do break a little bit of news about that Charleston event going on, that 16 player Labor Cup style format for the women that should be happening in June. So go check that out. But for now, enjoy my conversation. Another Technique Tuesday with our friends from My Tennis HQ and my friend, Carousel, coming up right after this. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us for another edition of Technique Tuesday, you of course know him as a former standout for the UCLA men's tennis team, the current hitting partner of the highest paid female athlete on the planet, and of course one of the co-founders of our friends at My Tennis HQ, Crusoe. Welcome back to the show. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Memorial Day weekend. Wild. Wild at home. So. <laughs> That's what um, I was saying. Someone told me on Thursday that it was – they are like, what are you doing for Memorial Day weekend? I was like, is that this weekend? Like, I was like, I don't think yeah. I'm doing anything. Yeah, exactly. Usually it was a thing like everyone from UCLA would go to Vegas. Um, that's why I knew it was more – not that we did, but that's how I knew it was Memorial Day weekend. Now I don't have anything <laughs> besides my new dog, so <laughs> – yeah, how's the new dog life treating you? We have a young pup at CRHQ who is just over the I'm going to bite everything stage and is now at oh. the I'm still going to bite you, but I will stop if you ask the right way. Yes, he is on the I'm going to bite everything now and just <laughs> absolutely poops right now. He just, he's just passed out. So uh, he's good. He's good. Mm-hmm. What's the name? River. Ooh. I like it. We we went with Quavo, which uh, Quavo. a little bit of a different path. Yeah, not you know like nice. Quavarius. We were gonna go with Takeoff, but we thought he might get confused. Um, uh, I just I just saw it online a dog that was named that. I was like, that is the name. I knew the name before I had the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear you're holding up well. And obviously, we, as as a fan of My Tennis HQ, I can say I am so excited to see you guys all in now on the video format. And, you know, you guys are yes. on YouTube, you're on Twitter, you're on you're, you're everywhere now. Um, and let's start there before we even get into today's video. So, I mean, we've talked about it in the past, but for you, how much easier is it to visualize a demonstration, to talk it out in a video format than it is to explain, uh, particularly given just the nature of tennis? in an article it's definitely it's definitely easier i think that's why we're we're definitely going to pivot to where hopefully you know the written articles are always coupled with a video or vice versa um because there are some things that actually like when you type it out it does make sense maybe for certain people i just think like 
there's different types of people, you know, people who are more visual learners, people who are more like, you know, they'll read something and they'll, you know, make sense of it and things like that. If it's like, you know, it has like, because we add video and all that to the article. So, you know, if I say something, I add a video about that and then say something, I add a little video about that as well. Um, but yeah, video definitely, definitely a little challenging. It's just like being a talking head, talking on, you know, in front <laughs> of the camera, uh, especially not being on the court. But it does, um, you know, if you have the right footage to go with it, I think it's it's nice. And and uh, yeah, I think we've we've been we've put out like two or three videos recently that, that I think we are looking pretty good. And we're just gonna hopefully keep doing that uh, more and more. Did you grow the mustache intentionally? The mustache has been intentionally, but not for video. Just because I said <laughs> I was just like whatever, you know, I'm not seeing <laughs> I'm seeing four people didn't last three months of whatever i'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this stash out i usually i had a goatee for a while but but i i went for the stash this yeah time. no i see, i was gonna say i see no problem in that i was yeah. I, I usually go like every three weeks because then i get to the point where the mustache is like on the lip and i just can't handle oh, that it's terrible but you gotta get yeah. like, a, like a like a little um comb and you're just kind of like <laughs> do the whole thing yeah I, i'm learning <laughs> I'm yeah, no, I well, I would look even more ridiculous than I do now if I tried to comb my mustache, and so I tried <laughs> not. Yeah, so I shave like every three weeks, but I always have fun when I shave, and I went with mutton chops, uh, like as my way through. So I'd shave just the chin, and I just look horrifying. And I was like, <laughs> I should do this for overserved. And Westoff was like, No, you should not. Uh, and so you know, in three weeks, we'll reevaluate. Yes. Yeah, every so often. Yeah, that's half the fun. And, you know, before we get into today's video, again, I do want to talk about what you guys are up to at My Tennis HQ because, you know, last month there were so many great uh, pieces from so many former college athletes talking about their experiences. You've also mm-hmm. given people a platform. I know you're calling it My Tennis HQ Propositions. Propositions, mm-hmm. but propositions, again, hey, great shot to you guys. That's just good branding. Uh, and now you guys are getting back sort of into the basics, talking about things such as your ranking and how to choose tennis balls, uh, getting into the rules of tennis. Yeah. What led to the push to talk about those things? Well, I think, like, I mean, part of Part of how we started was, um, you know, answering these type of questions. You know, people, again, like we we are uh, in the you know really top one percent of tennis that knows everything. And but like for the for the general person, like sometimes you know, what's the interesting watching a sport that they have no idea what the hell is going on, like at all. Like they don't know what they're drinking. They don't know what they're how many rackets these guys. Are. They have no idea what tennis is. Uh, to uh, you know if you're not really a big fan so this was a big part for us to start putting that kind of evergreen content for people to really like if they need to learn anything as minimal as it is about tennis we have it in the website and then um obviously having the instructional article so it's a mix of both so i think on on the website right now we we are going back to kind of those roots at at posting the these sorts of uh, content, like an article in, in written form, um, and then kind of expanding more to the technical side in video. So, you know, those kind of go hand in hand. But yeah, we're planning on posting every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we have the propositions, which is, I think we have one scheduled for tomorrow. Austin's taking care of that. Um, for, you know, people who just, just kind of have a platform to talk about things. I find it, I always find it interesting when, you know, a pro or someone you know has an opinion about something doesn't mean that we agree but 
you know, it's always nice to have a discussion. Both of them that we've had so far were actually pretty popular. Um, so it's always kind of a nice, uh, nice thing to have, um, to just have different opinions. So it's, it's been fun. Um, but yeah, going back to less interview, uh, style and more, more, you know, straight up, you know, response articles and, you know, just, just that kind of content. Yeah. The best part about going to my is you get the best of both worlds, as you mentioned. Yes. And there are so many topics, you know, the merger talks between the ATP and the WTA, the player relief funds, all things we've talked about before, but, you know, just as a platform, because, there are lesser known things you can talk about you know things such as how often do players really get approached by gamblers by people who have gambled yes. on their matches with harassment all these different things and what does that look like you know these are the sort of things that you can only learn about by asking players it's obviously something we try yes. to do uh, on our cracked interviews podcast and again i think you guys have had two great pieces thus far so be sure to go check out my tennis do you want to do a tangent on the gambling thing since I brought it up? I don't know if we've ever talked about that. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do five minutes. How real was that? How real is it? Are, you know, what's worse? Are you getting more messages, more hate mail where it's people are like, hey, way to blow that lead or whatever? Or is it, you know, do you have people approaching you saying, hey, X amount of dollars if you if this match goes this way? Oh, I've gotten, uh, I mean, you get more hate mail, like more, you know, on Instagram and all that. Um, that's for sure. I mean, everyone gets it. Like I, I used to get it all the time as well. I did get, get approached like somehow someone got my WhatsApp. I have no idea. Some person messaged me and they made it. Well, the first message made it look like it was something important or something. And then it was straight up gambling. And then I reported to, to TIU and why not? Um, but yeah, it's a real, it's a real thing. I mean, it's a real thing. I don't want to really get into it too much because, like, I, I, I know, I know a lot, especially with, uh, you know, Brazil and all that stuff. It's a, uh, uh, you know, I've had friends that, not that I've done it, but you know, that have been more involved in that, or like not them, but like people they know, um, mm-hmm. that. I mean, it, it gets pretty deep. Like some people that I'm like, yeah, sure. You're playing futures and you're traveling business class. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that yeah. kind of bullshit that I'm like, you know what I mean? It's so obvious that, that some, some guys make it like so obvious. And, with, you know, you know, that shows a Brazilian guy that got banned. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone knew it was happening, but like, obviously no one's going to like read the guy out. And I don't, I don't give a f- about talking about it because it's his own own wrongdoing anyways um i just always found that that like it's a despicable thing to do um to sell a match um to throw a match so uh you know what i mean those guys that i understand it like trust me it's it if someone offers you five ten thousand dollars to throw a match and you are some 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 nobody from argentina that it's can can pay his his way through staying in 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 the on the tour and all of a sudden that gives you a lifeline and you know like we had with that guy who was the guy the argentinian guy the kicker that made it to top 100 finally and then got banned because whatever but like maybe had he not done it he would have had to quit you know what i mean and again not saying he's right i'm just saying there's like there's a lot of people that aren't as privileged as um, 
I'm not American, but you know, I went to college and all that and I'm able to like live here and all that stuff. But there's a lot of people who are in terrible situations financially that are trying to fulfill their dream dreams. And a lot of them need this lifeline to stay on the tour for a long time to be able to make it like, you know what I mean? Like the, like Diego Schwartzman was playing futures for four years. I mean, he, he must have had uh, people contact him for this stuff. Uh, I'm sure he didn't do it, but I, I'm just saying like, some somewhere along the, the line someone gave him a lifeline like a sponsor in argentina or something but um you know it's it's some for some people it takes a while and they need it and and i can see why someone would take it um i would never do it but it, it's a tough thing because again the sport with the money that distributed it the way it is and then you go then the discussion becomes a whole other thing right like it it, it, it goes the morals go out the window and you're just talking about like man you're 350 in the world and you you make 20,000 a year in prize money so you make minus 50 um so it's just like it's a you know what i mean it's it's just not my place anymore to really discuss too much but i when i was playing i could see why yeah, i mean it's uh it, i mean sometimes they offer you not to even um this is it's for friends of mine that have been offered that offered like five grand not to lose a match but should throw a set so you can still you can still win the tournament and lose you lose that and you make as much as winning a challenger. So I mean you know it's not life changing money but it's money to keep you going somehow. So yeah. it's a it's yeah. a it's a tough thing it's a tough um, it's a tough discussion. Yeah, and again I don't want to get you in trouble so you know I'm not asking you to call anyone out in general. I do have a couple follow ups and you know, for people who think this only happens at the futures level and you know, this was a while ago and there have been, as you mentioned, yeah, the introduction of the tennis integrity unit, but go look up Nikolai Davidenko uh and his bet fair incident. Just look up Davidenko thrown match and you're gonna learn about something that will blow your mind and just you know, what he and just all this and you know, that incident led to the formation of you know, that on top of a couple others led to the formation of the tennis integrity unit and I want to ask about that in a second but you brought it up the fact the incentive to do this the fact that if you're on the future circuit as you mentioned you could end the year ranked 500 in the world go let's say 30 and you know 15 which by any other measure would be a really successful season but you're only making you know $13,000 and you're just so far in the red for the year you know that's part of this conversation as well in terms of you know pay equity is the wrong word but in terms of ensuring better compensation for the developing players, the players moving their way up the rankings to try and ascend to the top of the game because then, you know, it's not just uh, the obvious ones, the people who have been publicly already, uh, I think, banned for the game, the Egyptian brothers, I think they were the Hassams, um, and yeah. I may have but- I may have butchered that, but like they were both top 20 ITF juniors. They were both people yeah. who, you know, had the upside to make a living in professional tennis, but the financial incentive to throw the match, as you mentioned, is that much greater. You know, I- again, it's hard to really insinuate any other person's motives but that is the crux of the issue right it's just financially yeah. it's too compelling it for these I lower mean, rung players i mean i i mean some of the figures i knew from guys like selling matches and challengers or uh like like 30 40 thousand dollars to throw a match like think about that it's like you're playing a challenger someone offers you 40 000. that's almost prize <laughs> money for a grand slam and guess what? That's not going to get taxed because you're not telling anyone about that. Oh, no. That, that's exactly. So it's just like, again, it goes down to incentive where, it, it, yes, I understand that 
like I don't know the NBA or soccer they all have salaries and whatnot but the NBA only has like 500 players but okay but in tennis like there's only really like four or five hundred players that are worth like you know what I mean for like I said before 400 is not that hard I'm not saying guy who's 400 should be paying a million get paid a million dollars a year because then it would be almost like silly but you know what I mean it, you are in the top of your field and in any other sport you'd at least be making a living or have expenses like you travel with a team so you don't spend any of that money so it, it's just again it, it you can then you start dwelling like it, into you go kind of down a rabbit hole here because um, it is really hard I mean financially financially is probably 80 90 percent of people quit because of that so um you know it, it yeah may, most people don't really have it what it takes to get to top 150 anyways but you know what i mean like you, you at least should be able to make a living at 200 and be comfortable yeah and you know again to your point it, it we're not saying that the 400 player in the world should be making millions it's the idea no. that by improving the compensation, uh, you and, you know it's not entirely the responsibility of the ATP and the WTA to ensure that their players don't throw matches. At some point, there is, of course, personal responsibility. You just have to, yes. as a human being, have to be you know above that. Uh, yeah. But by ensuring that the compensation is better, you reduce that incentive to do that. And you know, ultimately, people need to make a living. People need to live their lives outside of the tennis court, even if you are a professional tennis player. And you know, if you're the 600 player in the world, you can't do that. There is no yeah. life for you outside of those matches because you have to keep playing to try and make some sort of living and you know the alternative is i throw one match and so you know uh that then i make enough money but again i want to get to the video last question on this the tennis integrity unit you mentioned the fact that you were able to report your issue you had right away how effective is the tennis integrity unit because we have heard you know obviously there are public cases of suspension and you know the tennis integrity unit i i know it deals with the gambling aspect i don't know i don't think it deals with the drug enforcement I believe that's the ITF anti-doping program, and they're yeah. two separate entities. But you know, how effective is the tennis integrity unit in protecting the players? Um, I don't know if they're that effective. I mean, they were <laughs> they were definitely responsive when I when I uh, reported it. Um, but I think they're more out to get players who are doing it wrong than to protect the players from the harassment you know so it's I mean? more so, reactive than proactive yeah exactly they're they're doing more um to you know catch people i think I, again this is from a little, the little bit of experience i had but to catch people than to actually be, be proactive at, at protecting people from you know the harassment and all this stuff and um you know that so I, I mean, it's, I mean, how do you really enforce that? I mean, it's really hard. Like, what do you do? Because everyone has social media and all this stuff, and you can't really, no one can really control that. And so it, it's a tough. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in that, those guys' shoes, but um, yeah, it's it's not it's not an ideal thing. Um, I mean, the only I think the only way to get rid of it it's to stop having live scores in in futures so there's no gambling anymore so you know what i mean so if there's no live score there's no gambling there's no online gambling so um that, that would be the only way but i think i think they're itf or i don't know i think they're 
they get money from the betting website. So yeah, I was uh, going to say the counter the counter to that is, is half of these not half that's way too strong, but some of these futures do exist simply through the funding they get from their gambling sponsors. Exactly, because, exactly. And yeah. so it affects it's a full throated effect of all, it yeah. affects all parts of tennis. Yeah, it's it's, it's just really really tough thing. It's yeah. it's not. It's uh, yeah. I, I honestly don't really know what what should be done. I just know that that would, would at least um, cut some of the harassment. Yeah. Um, All right. So if but, I write a pro, if I write a proposition, even though I'm not a pro, can on this gambling yeah. issue, maybe Absolutely. it makes a it's little for more everyone. Sense. All right. Yeah, it's for well, everyone. Write one. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And from that, well, yeah. you know, if that that is not an easy uh, problem to solve, what you have mm-hmm. made clear to me via your video this week that we are going to discuss. How's that for a segue, folks? Uh, wow, for our ten- tech, yeah, for our Technique Tuesday segment of the week, uh, we're going to talk about tennis volleys. And you, in your video, offer three tips to help you win more points at the net. And you know, I want to start at the beginning because your opening statement, you talk about how volleying moving forward is. It, it seems complicated. There are many differing aspects, but it is it can be when done properly a simple form. It takes you know a couple yeah. of things to execute well to ha- be successful on the volleys. Uh, yeah. Let's start with the negative. What are the things you see people do you know most incorrect? I guess are incorrect about the most when they move forward to the net. Uh, I think some. Uh, Starts with the approach shot, right? So I think sometimes people are moving in, they're forcing their way in, um, which is not necessarily a huge problem. But obviously, if you're not hitting good approach shots, it you know, it, you can be whoever you are, but it's gonna be hard to not get past or win those points. Um, doesn't matter how good you are. Uh, second thing, and that's kind of like that's what I see the most, and that's uh, not just in uh, any like club level any level myself uh i was also like that probably until, until college until mid mid career college career uh it's kind of having that um you get to the net and instead of like really closing the net um you kind of split step and you move you don't really move. You just kind of stay where you are. Station, not stationary. You're still going to move to volley, but you don't proactively go to, to, you know, find the ball, the passing shot. Um, so you kind of end up doing what I say in the video, the coach volley, where you just wait for the ball and, and you know, try to redirect it to the other side. The, the coach volley is great if you're a coach, like the guy, the, you know, your your student, whatever, is hitting to you, and you're just like moving the ball around coach volleying right but you're that's not an aggressive volley that's not a put away volley you don't want to be at the net like the misconception is like i need to have five good volleys no you're gonna volley once maybe twice that is it like you're either gonna get passed or they're gonna miss but that's it it's one or two volleys so if you're just firm with the first the one or two volleys that's all you need you don't need to like go practice at the net the the, the coach volley don't go when you're practicing with someone, yeah, warm up your volleys a little bit, but don't just stand at the net doing the coach volleying. Oh, I'm making 10 in a row. This is great. No. Like, you're, if you're playing a match, you're going to get past in those. Like, go, you know, be more proactive about, like, oh, I hit a first volley, I'll put away, or I hit one, two, close the net, just put away, because that's how you play at the net. 
So just the aggressiveness of getting to the net. So those two things I see, um, I, it's not that I see the most, it's just that I, well, I see a lot with, with students, but um, that I know that I did as well, that I was so worried about like, am I, is, am I always good? Um, you know, is my technique great? But I wasn't closing the, the net properly. I wasn't like active there. I wasn't really like, and that helped me a lot playing college, college especially college the doubles and all that stuff to like really go get it uh, and whatnot. So I think uh, those are really the two key problems that I see. Yeah, and I, I've had this conversation with Austin. I'm curious your perspective. Uh, this idea, I, I think half the issues with, you know, even when you're watching pro tennis players all the way through, you know, college, juniors, whatever level mm-hmm. it may be, so often people come to the net, but they have no plan. They don't know what they no. want to do when they get there. Do you think that's yeah. another one of those issues? Yeah, that is a that is a big issue. I think that's uh, that's kind of yeah, that's pretty much what I said in 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 a different way. But yeah, it's like having a plan, like it, the the commitment of being at the net. It's like okay, maybe I hit a sh- approach shot. But I'm gonna be committed. I'm gonna go there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna maybe pick a side. Uh, if you know, if my approach shot wasn't that good, you know, after my split step, I'm gonna pick a side and try to close it. I'm, you know, maybe you know your opponent's patterns. It's a huge thing. And this is actually I talked to to uh, Naomi's coach about it because we we talk a lot about statistics and and in in professional tennis, people know. <laughs> Uh, they don't not only know the guys statistics on serves, but they will know like, Hey, if you are, um, approaching down the line and for example, Stan Vavrinka, uh, if he's going open stance on the passing shot, he's going to go down the line 80% of the time. But if he goes close stance, he's going to go cross court 80% of the time. It's, it's, I don't know the numbers precisely, but it's something like that. And so knowing those things, like you approach and you quick corner of the eye, you see Stan Vavrinka going open stands, you have a better chance. You already kind of have that plan. Okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to close the line there. If he goes cross court, too good, whatever. But having that game plan, obviously we don't know the statistics as amateurs or even, you know, pros or college, whatever. But you can kind of pick up some of the patterns. You know, you see... You know, you can kind of watch your you, – you go to the net a couple of times, you get burned down the line, you know, next time close it down the line a little better. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, make them pass you on the on the side they don't want to pass you. It's not necessarily about you putting away the volleys, but if you're if you're an aggressive player, again, it's you watch Fed doing it, and how many times he does he actually go to the net that you're like, ah, oh, that was not a good approach shot. What is he doing? But he somehow like – it gets away with it. Yeah, it's fed, and he figures things out. But he's he's committed, and he since the, since his resurgence in 2017. I mean, that's what we saw, right? He just whenever he can, he's at the net. So I I think you can always like pick up. I'm not saying you're gonna do it like the pros. No one's gonna do it like Feather, but you can kind of pick up that that like oh yeah, like look at him like doing that. Um, he's really committed to the game plan. That's like okay, I'm gonna approach gonna close the net and you know it doesn't work doesn't work but you know you're committed there and not just uh reactive you're really proactive yeah and you know again to to your point there um it does feel like so much of being at the net is about footwork it's about no yeah. you know and momentum and just 
I, yeah. I think I had a coach, and you know the percentage is arbitrary. This was, I'm sure, exaggeration just to prove his point. But he says, Alex, you know, you get to the net, it's 90% footwork. It's 90% where your body is because yeah. anyone can put their racket up and redirect. And you know, yeah. so much of tennis is being comfortable with your patterns and knowing what you want to do. For me, on yeah. the ad side, I like to hit the kicker out wide and follow it in because I'm six yeah. two. I'm pretty sure I can get to the spot and cut off the time before you can. Yeah. Maybe not you, Carew, but you know yeah. the other 90% of tennis players. Um, how, you know, even, you know, t- this dates back to having a plan when you get there, but how much of being at the net and being successful at, you know, while you volley is about footwork is about being at the right place at the right time. Oh, it's a lot. I mean, like you, once you're up there, obviously it's you yeah, can, a drop volley is hard, but yeah, exactly. A drop volley is hard, but like if you, I mean, if you're, again, if you kind of wait for the ball and again, that comes down to. Um, you know, that good split step. It's almost like not totally a split step. They call it like a stutter step. I mean, there's a million ways. to. I don't, I don't want to get to terminology because everyone has, <laughs> has a different way of saying it. And it's like, oh, Karu doesn't know anything, whatever. But it's like, it's, that, like, it's not really like a, a full on, you stop on your split step. You like, you kind of do give a couple hops. So you like keep, keep that like momentum going forward. Because the, the idea is like cut diagonally, right? Don't go horizontally go diagonally so you cut the angle so if someone passes you and but you did a proper job cutting the angle then too good the pass was too good but one if you do that if you cut that angle uh with your footwork you're probably going to have a volley that is one higher above the net which is what you want and two with like your body moving forward it's going to come down to less your hand skills you know what I mean? You don't need to have like great hands, but you can just be firm. And if you're firm, you're fine. You know what I mean? Volley's firm, firm with some softness. It's like that kind of fine line of firm and soft. But you're gonna have your momentum. You're gonna have your body uh, taking the punch and not your arm taking the punch. Because I mean, ball, tennis balls they come hard. So you need, you know, if you just think like, oh, I have great hands, I'm just gonna do this. You know, your record's gonna, you're not gonna have great content. Records are gonna move, whatever. Um, there's a million things that can go wrong, but if you see any good volleyers, see a Pete Sampras or a Rafter or whatever, whatever, they're always just like fed. They're always like so proactive at the net. Like you talk, they're always volleying right behind uh, the ball. Almost, their the entire body is taking the punch. They're not really stretching unless the pass is really good. They're always, you know, reading the the what the shot that's coming really well and proactively uh, moving to it. So they're not just having to use their hands if the if they don't need to like if they need to obviously they'll they'll have to do it but uh, if they don't need to that 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 will be the best uh scenario for you it'll give you a much better chance to making a good volley yeah and you know you again you said it step one is our tip number one is about the approach shot and you know uh, just to finish off that point for the approach it's you know uh, you always want is it sexier to hit an approach shot winner of course it is a winner's always going to feel great what to you is more important when it comes to the approach shot the placement or the power um for me the depth um Mm -hmm. i think like um because the placement, people can get, get in, you know, think placement and start hitting too much to the corner. And honestly, like, yeah, a good shot to the corner, um, you know, if it has enough pace and it, it, enough depth is going to be better. But if you don't have enough pace, a, a shot to the corner might open more angles, you know. 
So the depth, if you play maybe two thirds or three three quarters of the court, like let's say cut three quarters of the court from the the sides, and to just play with that, uh, or not three quarters, one quarters from the side, and just play with that three quarters, and just really go at it. Yeah, pace is great. You you need pace. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't don't go softly to the net, but hit up hit it. Try to work on your depth. Depth is key because then you're pushing the person back. And they're having to hit up on the ball. You're, if you're playing, especially on hardcore, they're gonna have to hit up on the ball. If you hit, try to be aggressive, but that ball lands on the on the tee. It will have enough time to actually bounce up, and then the person can actually hit the ball at a higher, higher, higher from the ground, and maybe dip it to your feet or have more options. If they're being pushed back, they're gonna have to lift that ball up, and they're gonna have to do such a good job to actually make it go up and down that if they do it too good, but they most likely won't uh, at most levels. So that for me, uh, the most important thing, even a poorly, not to the side, like if it's not too, dis- like to, to the corners as much, the shot, the approach shot as it is deep. Cause you know, it's hard to pass from the middle too, cause it closes the angles. So, um, you know, if you, if we've seen, you know, fad do that too, like approaches right to the middle and closes the angle. Uh, there's no angle to pass, so those kind of things. I, I think, you know, if you're if you're struggling with your approach shot, don't worry too much about hitting more to the corner because then you start forcing it and then you start missing wide and then you don't trust it anymore. Try to just work on depth. Depth will be uh, will do most of the job. Mm-hmm. And then you know, tip number two, you say be committed, and you know, within that, that means you know, trusting yourself and following yeah. your momentum, and you know, being yeah. if you're going to hit the approach shot, follow it and be aggressive. Own the fact that you want to move yeah. forward at that point. Uh, this relates back to the footwork aspect, I suppose. Yeah, it's but, pretty much what we said uh, earlier. Yeah, it's like yeah, be but. Yeah, but so what I was going to add on top of that is in terms of hitting the volley and picking your location, another thing my coach used to always say is, you know, follow your momentum. If you're trying to hit an inside-in, you know, forehand volley or you're trying to run around a backhand volley to hit the forehand, don't try and go across your body. Knife that forehand yeah. off, you know, on the do side. Is that is that a fair point? You think follow your momentum as well as, you know, in terms of staying committed, that means follow through with your plays? Yeah, I mean, there's if you if you made a commitment to a certain, you know, I'm gonna split step and cover this side a little more, that side a little more, whatever, whatever commitment you made, like go with it. You know what I mean? It's like it, there's not a lot of time at the net to, you know, oh no, that is not gonna work, and you know what I mean? Then the mm-hmm. ball, then you're done. So just be committed in that way. Like if you, if you, you know, if there's a certain volley. We'll get to the volley part soon, but there's a certain volley that. You, you think you need to hit there and the ball is coming the way you want it, just hit the volley, Com- commit to that. But really, I think the most I can say is be committed to like, okay, I am going to the net. Don't like hit it and it's like, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to the net. Then you're just, mm, you're not there. Like you hit it, you knew before you hit it that you were going to the net and you're just going. And at least like, you 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 went you had a good intention and you're gonna get there and the more you do it the the kind of easier it gets you start covering the net a little better you start understanding a little bit of the patterns of the passer and all that stuff so you know just almost before you hit the approach shot be like I'm going to the net regardless like let's go let's do this and and then you know go from there and obviously there's 
there's all sorts of technical work with uh, uh, technical things with you know split step and the volley something that again that wasn't really a technical video on that that way it was just a video on improving efficiency at the net um, so yeah those kind of things but the commitment is really important and then in terms of staying committed, hitting through your shot, what are the things you should be focused on as you're hitting the volleying? What little check marks should be going off in your head? Uh, keeping, keeping your, well, keeping, first of all, split step and trying to like maintain like a lower position, try not to like pop up too much. I think a lot of people who are uncomfortable at the net, they like they'll volley and as they're volleying, they're kind of looking up already. Their body's moving up and again, watch any guy any good volley at the net, they, they're staying down there with their head. They're watching the back of their strings as they volley. Um, so that's first thing. Two, I think thinking about volleying more with your body, and that kind of goes with one, but volleying more with your body than volleying just with the hands. Uh, don't get too, like, handsy at, at trying to redirect the ball. Redirect the ball uh, with your body, with, like, a good turn and, like, you know, a good contact in front. Don't try to get like all handsy, especially again, more, more amateurs and people who are struggling with that. Obviously if you're at a higher level, you already have good hands and all that stuff that are different. Like if you're watching, you know, Mackie volleying, like don't try to be like Mackie. Don't try to be like Mackie. Mackie's way too good. Don't try to volley like Mackie. He's way too good at the net, but he covers the net incredibly well. So if you actually can watch Mackie McDonald play, uh, you go, go to the net. He covers it incredibly because he's committed as hell when he goes to the net. And that was like a, a fantastic thing. Uh, we actually posted a video of him. There's a ton of him uh, going to that because he was super committed. He would get there sometimes with like eh, approach shots, but incredible commitment and, you know, instincts at the net, having good instincts. And I think it, it goes back to, you know, this sort of commitment and to hit good volleys, like having good in instincts comes from going to the net a lot. So make sure you're. You know, the more you're going, the more you're going to get comfortable and it's okay to lose a few points here and there. But if it's just practice, if you're just practicing with someone, just try it. Like, go see how you're going to get comfortable at the net um, instead of just, you know, oh, I don't know if I can do it or I lose a couple points and I kind of give up on the strategy. Like, whatever, man, just go for it. Yeah, no, the, the most difficult part about watching someone like Mackie is then going out in the court and being like, oh, I can do that, because yeah. everything he does just looks so smooth. It's yeah. just so easy for him. Yeah, yeah no, Mackie was like this crazy thing where he, I watched him play a lot of doubles at UCLA, and he he had, like, the, the tough volleys, he was ridiculous at it. They were all like, <laughs> how is he making those? But, like, I, I would see him miss a lot of putaways that I was mm -hmm. like, you know, the easy one, the one that he needed to poach and just kind of, you know, put it away. I was like, he struggles with that one more than, than like, serving <laughs> and, and taking a 120-mile-per-hour return on his feet. And he just kind of, like, puts the racket there, and the guy poaches, could, can't reach it. And I'm like, how did he put it? There's, like, a tiny little pocket that he could have put the ball, and he does it. Um, so that was, like, really funny about Mackie. Like, he was, like, he's incredible at those shots. And I'm, obviously, he's gotten much better with the putaways. But, like, I, it, he was always, like, I played doubles with him a couple times. I was like, how are you making this, this pickup ball? I actually, <laughs> yeah, no. I actually think about him when I, I, when I hit pickup balls because I watch him so much. I'm like, oh, do it like Mackie. Like, stay nice and, move, <laughs> and low and, like, all that. Like, I swear, like, he is my, like, pickup ball inspiration. Well, I just think he's exceptionally coordinated. You know, yeah. there are a lot of pure ball strikers, and he's certainly, certainly yeah. one of them, but just the yeah. coordination he oh, has yeah, is second yeah. to none. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, so the, just the hand-eye, yeah, the hand-eye that he, like, knows exactly where to place the, 
not just placing the racket, but like how open or close the racket faces, all that stuff. This is all like quick things that need to uh, happen in your mind. And he ha he's always had that. So, uh, but yeah. yeah. But the I commitment say... again, watch, watch Mackie. I'm sure you learn a couple things from him. Yeah, no. Everyone likes to say the closest anyone's ever come to mimicking Roger Federer's game is Grigor Dimitrov, but I always say yeah. it's the Mackey, it's the Mackey game and the Race Armiento games that come closest. They both just different pieces of them. For Ray, it's that forehand. That forehand is identical to Federer. The serve too. Um, this is a take for another yeah. time, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's just how smooth they all make it look, and yeah. that's maybe the most impressive thing. But I suppose again, in terms of tips for us and how we can make our Volleyers look more smooth. Any uh, last things you would say, Karu? Um, no, get low with your legs. Don't get low with your like upper body. So like in balls that come low to you, uh, I think I have the people have this tendency, or not tendency, but especially you know amateurs that don't don't really use their legs as much as they should, will you know bend their torso down, but not their legs. So you know it, it just makes it much harder to. To, to actually maintain a good volley. I always try to keep my my volley. So, like, it's hard to explain this in a podcast, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, if I'm gripping the racket in continental position, I will keep my, my you know, forearm and my, my racket will form either an L, depending on the perspective, or a V. I always kind of keep it in a V, right? So, you know, the racket, it's... You know, with my my forearm and my and the way the racket points up, it kind of makes a V. Um, and you can see probably that if you just watch anyone volleying, what I'm talking about. But uh, and try to keep that racket in that same V, regardless of the height or how the ball is coming. Right? Don't break your wrists because a ball is low. Uh, don't try to be too fancy when. Uh, the balls are high. Just try to keep that same V firm and through the shot and just kind of open or close the racket head face a little more or a little less depending on the ball. You know what I mean? If the ball is low, I open the racket head face a little bit more so I get a little more high, height on that. The ball is a little bit higher, close the racket head face a little more, things like that. But, yeah, just try to keep it keep it up, especially you amateurs, like all amateurs and, you know, young juniors. Like kind of try to keep it at one stroke. Don't don't get too fancy with it. Like I have this nice stroke both sides, and I'm gonna use it regardless of the volley. So yeah, that would be kind of the tip. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they say that moving forward, you know, coming to the net has died down in comparison to where it used to be. I just think that's not true. I think servant volleyers don't exist the way they used to, but certainly, you know, being proficient at the net is as valuable now as it ever was. And I think, you know, you look at a guy like Alex Virev or a guy like Taylor Fritz, and both guys have the skills and the weapons to put themselves in a position to be successful at the net. And it's the fact that they can't execute perfectly up there yet, that they're still trying to figure out, you know, what they're plans yeah. are when they move forward that's one of the things that keeps them from you know reaching their ceiling as players for a guy like Alex Vera I think when he learns to close the net confidently just like look out tennis world like I know yeah. I, it's always the Zverev show for me but I just think he's a guy who gets to he's someone like oh I should move forward and then he gets there and there's just the, there's no synapse between what happens first and then what he should do next and once that skill that instinct is developed you know I think it's just as critical now as it has ever been yeah exactly I think once he figures that out he's gonna be much better 
Yeah, look at like the way Rafa he, moves for now. Yeah, exactly. Once he, he just kind of figures the right time to go to the net, he doesn't have to be amazing volleyer. Again, kind of goes back to, um, I think, once we get to the third point, like the Miller's round edge point that I made in the video. But yeah, like, well, you have to be an amazing volleyer, but you have to know your opportunities to be at the net and where to place your volleys a little bit better, and you're just going to be more efficient. And I think Zverev, once he does that, he's going to be like, he's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Well, then, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Uh, well, we, there was like the third point of the video, wasn't there? Ooh, I, I was going to say, so keeping things firm and simple. So we kind of hit yeah, on that. Kind, you know. We kind of hit it, but like, yeah, the third thing on the video was like, if you can, um, you know, if you can train it, and I train it a lot with, with juniors, and I even train it myself. Um, if you can do it, properly try to aim your volleys um to the opposite side of where you hit your approach uh, where you send your opponent firm so firm don't try to drop volley not like up and down firm volley but shorter on the court so like aim at the service box like the line the service line and um like if it goes a little past or a little before because if you do hit an approach shot deep and then you hit a firm volley cross um or, or down the line if you need to because, you know, obviously the pass can be crossed. But it's short and firm. It's super hard. Like, not super hard. It's almost impossible to get. And I make the, the point in in the video of watching Milo's roundage, how he does it. Like, he, again, is not a guy who you're like, whoa, like, I just want to volley like Milo's roundage. Amazing <laughs> volleys. But he's so efficient up there. Obviously, his serve is ridiculous. But he, he will serve you out on the court and he's at the net even the tough volleys the short the low volleys he will like just really be firm and don't send it too deep because the guy's already so deep he's just like yeah go run forward now um and he aims a lot there at the box i put a, an example of the video so if you take a look uh you see what i'm talking about um but yeah just kind of keep it firm and short um if you can if you have the ability especially higher volleys anything that is higher above the net uh, you're probably in a good position to volley firm and short. A little lower at the net, below the net, a um, little tougher, but higher ab uh, above the net or like net high, firm and short to the opposite side is your highest probability of winning a point. And that's I've talked to, to coaches about this and there's statistics about that. So, um, you know, if it's a little bit higher above the net, firm and short to the opposite side, that's it. You're, you're probably going to win that point. Um, yeah. so yeah, just keep, again, that goes back to keeping it simple and it's a, it's a combination of all the things, right? Sending the approach shot a little bit deeper, send your opponent further, uh, back in the, on the court, um, you know, closing the net fairly hard, not waiting for the volleys. And then once you close it, making sure that, um, you're keeping it nice and firm and short. So, uh, those mm -hmm. three things, you just become way more efficient at the net. All right, my last question for you. The Federer fad that went around, you know, tennis, uh, Twitter, and all the things, the volleying against the wall and the 100 volley challenge, is that helpful yeah. actually for your volleys? It is, but I'm not going to lie. The the whole, not the, not the way he did it, I don't think, but I did it I did it with Billy at UCLA. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the whole, I remember the Rickus, the video that went viral. <laughs> uh, we did that a lot too, like not, like kind of moving uh, up and down the core, just like da da da, the same volley kind of thing, because so, your your hands get like nice and firm, you get that contact. It is good, like it's not bullshit. It it is actually a good thing to do. Like 
if you're able to get there because you kind of have to keep the racket nice and firm it's like it, it, it keeps you in the right keeps it in the right path it does work it, it's actually not bs it's like i we have it actually on our youtube the wall ball uh <laughs> yeah yeah the wall ball uh volley drill so you guys can check out on the youtube like uh it does work especially for uh i don't do it as much anymore but someone who already has decent volleys but is looking to improve a little bit um it it does help you a little bit your forearms get a little better uh you just kind of get that you know the racket head uh the, being open in the right spot so you can keep you know hitting it over and over and over it's actually pretty good so uh actually give it a try if you have the skill for it give it a try and it might be really hard at first it is super hard at first um but you can just do it like five minutes a day every practice i think um i think uh it would help i actually might make make i actually might make naomi do that <laughs> no i like it that's perfect yeah. and yeah to your yeah, point, you know, in some places, tennis courts are starting to open up again. You can get back out there, but in case you can't, that is something all of us can do, even while we're all self oh, yes. you know, staying yes. away from one another. So it is an effective drill. Um, but yeah, so again, the the uh, you, the video can be found on the My Tennis HQ YouTube page. It's three tips uh, to help you improve your volleys, to help you be more effective, win more points at the net. I should say. Any final thoughts, Karu, before we wrap this one up? No, I think that's it, right? I think, uh, you know, just it's the same old. I'll plug in everything. So, mytennishq.com. Uh, follow us on social media, mytennishq, and mytennishq underscore now on our new Twitter. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Uh, we're, we're always, like, sharing our videos there and all that stuff. Um, and, again, I think we just have a new video on like, some crazy college points. Some of them I hadn't even seen, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, some of the, the shots are crazy so you know if you guys want to watch that and uh, yeah just you know keep an eye on uh, on the website because we have a, a lot more articles coming out and uh, uh, we'll go from there yeah I was scrolling through my phone because you know at a certain point all I've been to you know not to humble brag here I've been to a bunch of events at this point and so my phone just needed to be cleared of some old video and I was going back and the first NCAA I ever covered in person was the 2018 one at Wake Forest that they won um, that yeah. year by the way your UCLA Bruins knocked off my Wolverines in the round of 16 but not that I hold that against you or anything but <laughs> I was I was going through the video and I remember this match it was one of the fa- my favorite I've ever covered is Torp guard versus Nuno uh, from Mississippi State and yeah. it was a three all match quarterfinals winner of that number one singles match and I think they were number one and two at the country at the time was going to move on to the semifinals and I'm not going to say which, well I'll say which player because I love him so let's just say there's a very questionable Torpegard call that I had saved video <laughs> of and I was like oh do I post this and I was like no I should not um, but I also had you know a bunch of great points as well I had some Red yeah. Licky uh, who'd they play in the round I think they I played they played Wake Forest I believe in the court no they didn't play Wake Forest no they lost to Ohio State I'm pretty yeah sure. they played they played USC in the quarterfinals and they beat them yes. I believe uh, after yes. USC knocked off North Carolina and I had some uh, Red Licky Holt footage on my phone and I was like I can get rid of that I was like I don't need to watch that anymore I've seen a Martin Redlicky match uh, enough times but yeah I'm looking forward to that and again for all of you go to mytennishq.com check it all out check out the various platforms crew thank you as always man stay safe stay healthy we'll talk to you soon I'll talk to you soon man take care yeah of course take it easy
Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with my Tennis HQ's Carousel. Of course, if you want to check out anything that's going on, be sure to go check out MyTennisHQ.com. You can follow them, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. They're all over the place, and we really appreciate their work, of course. We always enjoy doing these Technique Tuesdays with them, and you know I know they would appreciate your support as well, so be sure to go give all of that a look. Uh, what else have we got going on here at Crack Rack? It's a bunch of stuff, as we always do. I mentioned before the show, if you want to hear a fun interview about what's going on in the professional tennis world right now, go listen to the Cracked Interview podcast I just did with Bethany Maddox-Sands, or even better, go watch it on YouTube, because you get to see her smiling face, you get to see a nervous me trying to make jokes and be like, oh my god, like, please, 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 please laugh, because if you make a blank stare here, I'm going to have to try and do something awkward, so Bethany, please, B-Dog, have my back. Uh, But it's a really great interview where we talk about that Charleston event, we talk about her new show that she does with Vashik Pospisil for the ATP and WTA tour tennis united uh, and so much more it's always just fun to get to chat with her of course and you know if you want to hear more about the biggest news stories going on in tennis go check out the great shot podcast we did with eight former atp ceo mark miles as well as sports business journal writer brett mccormick on the you know the nuances the finances the organization of professional tennis and how a global pandemic impacts them uh of course be sure to go check out our, our other cracked interviews we've done if you want to hear how players are handling quarantine if you want to hear how these college players handled losing their seasons uh, during this 2019, go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can hear our conversations with Stanford's Michaela Gordon, UNC's Alexa Graham, Pepperdine's Ashley Leahy, of course, pro players like Dennis Kudla and Christian, Mitchell Kruger, so many more. You can hear all of them on the Cracked Interviews podcast. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, to the Great Shot podcast, to the Cracked Interviews podcast, and to our newest podcast, the Inside Out podcast, our first narrative-based show, the first season of which we think you all will immensely enjoy focuses on American men's tennis in the open era, naming the best player in each and every season we've seen competed thus far. Uh, it's a really fun show that I know all of you will enjoy, and of course, if you've missed any of our content you can find all of it on our website, CrackedRackets.com, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f**k <laughs> of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports for their support. Be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders, $75. And, of course, that free can of Wilson Extra duty tennis balls also go check out our friends at aerobar uh because you want to put the right stuff in your body you want to be fueled properly for when you make your return to the tennis court and you can do that by getting yourself some aerobar and if you use our promo code cracked 15 you'll get 15 percent off all of your purchases as well uh with that being said though for our friends at midwest sports and aerobar for our friends at my tennis hq and our guest today carousel who we always appreciate having on the show our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.